well, one of the authors of the book, uh, Framers, Human Advantage in an Age of Technology and Turmoil. Mm-hmm. Um, is this something you set out to do or how did this how did a book like this come about for you? Well, one of the co-author of the book, Victor, is a very old friend of mine. And he came to me one day saying he wanted to write a book. Um, In fact, he started with the idea of writing a book about decision making in the age of artificial intelligence. And then we started to talk and the scope started to broaden. It was not only AI, it was also all the challenges that humanity were facing. And um, he he reached out to, he shared the idea we had with one of his old friends um, which is Ken, and uh, it happened that Ken was thinking uh, independently about the same issues as we did. So since the two of them had written a book before, Ken joined the, the, the gang and uh, we ended up being three uh, good friends working hard for about three years, I think, on that book. That's how it happened. I see. And, you know, it's a fascinating uh, sort of challenge, I guess, uh, just the title, An Age of Technology and Turmoil. Um, do, you, do you look at it that way? I mean, uh, you, yes. you have a very interesting position. Uh, I'm just reading it off here. The, uh, your director of a, let's see, the director of the Center for Decisions, Models, and Data at yes. the European School of Management and Technology. That sounds yes. like you'd be all over this technology issue. Is, is that right? Well, there's, there's, there's technology and yes, and there's data and there's, there's model and the model are the frames. So um, uh, there's, I mean, to, to go back to the beginning of your question, what I see indeed is what is new, the technology has been disrupting humanity and disrupting helping, but has been taking over many of the tasks that human used to do. Um, being physical tasks, but also computing. Like we don't, we don't calculate too much in our mind anymore because we have computers, cell phones, and what's not. So the fact that technology is helping us and taking over some of our tasks um, is not new, but what is really new is that now the computer is taking over our ability to decide, and that's new. And there's something a bit scary about it. Um, at some point, many people were wondering if machines would not take many of our jobs. I don't think this is quite true, but it's raised the question uh, that is what is going to be our role as decision maker in an age where more and more machines are taking over what we thought were um, human-based decision making. And, and, and that was uh, the starting point or one of the starting point of the book. And the answer to that question is machine cannot frame, machine cannot build their own representation about the world cannot create what we call counterfactual, that is imagine realities that do not exist yet. Um, Machines as we know them today, they can only get attached to the data uh, that they use for their training, basically. So to kind of reassert the importance of humanity or the human mind or uh, just the the personal decision-making. That, that's correct. This, this is the, the, the human mind, but people have been thinking and looking at the human mind uh, when, when, when contrasted with the machine by saying, well, you know, what human can do and machine can't are our ability to have emotion, to show empathy, etc. which is all that is true. But our beliefs is that empathy, emotions are important, but that's not going 
to be to make the huge a huge difference when it comes to important decisions. And uh, the claim of the book is that what makes us special is again his ability to frame and build our own mental model about the world, and that is something that we have been doing all along. But given the rise of the of the machine and given the challenges we are facing, uh, we better become better at it. Gotcha. Uh, one of the, the interesting questions here, or, or suggestions, I guess I should say, on the press package was the ubiquitous phrase, think outside the box, completely misses the mark as a cognitive method. Can you explain that? Because we hear that well, a lot, thinking yes. outside the box. Yes, you know, that's, that, that's yeah, a, of course, of yeah. course. And, that's, that, that, and, and so, look, if you, if you, and there's, there are experiments that show that, um, if you ask people to think outside the box to solve problems, it turns out that they are worst off. They, they are less able to solve problems. And the reason is because we cannot think without a box. So thinking of outside the box is very inspiring because you feel free, because indeed you release your constraints uh, and you can imagine whatever you want. But it's easy to imagine whatever you want. It's more difficult to have ideas that stick, that are going to help you. And what is going to help you have good ideas are the box within which you're creating those ideas. And the box are those mental models, those frames. So that's why what we say is, if you, if you have people try to think outside the box, they will feel maybe happy, but they are not going to solve their problems. The same goes with brainstorming. I mean, we know now for a long time that brainstormings do not work. If you have people try to have wild ideas, crazy ideas, you put them in a room, usually people are happy, they have a good time, but their ideas are not uh, super good. What you need is to have your independent way of framing the problem, to think of about those problems alone using your own representation, and then you talk, and then you share your ideas. So it's really about which box you bring on the table that matters. I found it interesting. I, I read oh, a year or so ago, the book on the Wright brothers, and that's that's brought out here as, as an item, how the Wright brothers who owned a bicycle shop and had no formal training in physics uh, did what they did, which was, uh, you know, launch, launch us into the, uh, the age of the airplane. Um, wh what, how do you explain that? Uh, you know, what, what happened with the Wright brothers? I mean, we, we used this example to, to, uh, to show that this ability to frame, to model, we all, have, we all have it and we all can become better at it. And so the, the Wright brothers, we think about them as genius, you know, like, like uh, thinking maybe, and, and in some sense, maybe they were, but thinking that, um, only special people like the Einstein of the world or the Wright brothers, et cetera, can really innovate the way they did. And we, we pick them up because people tend to forget that, well, they were normal people, you know, working, repairing and selling bikes in their, in their shops. And um, what they did is that they apply the frame of aerodynamics and within that frames, they run many counterfactuals to come up with ways to make, um, uh, the first flight. Many other people have been trying to do that and scientists have been trying to do what they did and they, and they failed. So the fact that it's normal people working in their biking shop just by harnessing the ability to represent, to imagine 
under constraint uh, is a very, very power powerful message. And that, that's really why we have it in the book. So that every, you know, your listener, if they are careful and if they are training themselves properly, they can in their own world, whatever they want to do, they can, they can achieve great things. Uh, yeah, and I can see that they'd be very inspiring. Uh, one of the things, you know, and we've all been touched by the pandemic, uh, you know, which which lingers. We can't we can't write it off quite yet, but yeah. we are optimistic. Uh, but I noticed one of the things in in the uh, uh, the press package was talking about the remote work that that certainly uh, yeah. surrounds us now um, yeah. and. You know, yet it was always a good idea. Is, is that right? I mean, in other words, we took the pandemic to really put it out there, but it's always been a good idea. Why is that? Well, you know, I, I think you, you said it. The, the, the key question, I mean, it's not a question. It's, it's, um, it, it shows the importance of, of framing. The key point is that why is it that we had to wait a pandemic to discover that there were many things that we could do better um, by working um, with Zoom or you know, uh, from 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 home, I, I'm not saying we should all work at home, but there's a lot of things that we could have done before. And the mystery is not quite a mystery, but the 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 striking point is that we had to wait for a pandemic for us to change our mental model or representation. And what the story tells us is that there are probably many, many other ways we could work better, more efficiently. And the only thing that prevents us to do that is because of the constraint we impose of our, on our thinking. Um, there's a lot of probably untapped opportunities mm -hmm. to become better um, worker from home or at the office. And maybe next time we, may, we don't need to wait for the next pandemic. It's about trying to become better framers, trying to play with the constraint we take for granted so that we reimagine the way we work. I've noticed in the uh, uh, publications like the Wall Street Journal articles now appearing, the office is calling. They, they want the uh, workers to come back. Uh, obviously, it yes. all depends on size and what the, the specifics are. But, you know, it, it would... It, what do you think? I mean, obviously, we can't deal, deal with this on a on a blanket basis, but should someone resist that? Because well, hey, well, are we yeah. just going to go back to what we used to do, or what do you think? I think there's no way back. I think um, now that all of us have experienced a new mental model about how to work, um, it's going to be very, very hard for company that resist it to totally move back to, certainly they will try, but it's going to be obvious that um, there are better ways um, to do things. In fact, the, the, the companies, uh, many of them uh, are benefiting from it. I mean, think about traveling. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure many companies will save tons of dollars by just limiting the type of travel uh, and the frequency of travel, because now we are used to work well. We we had this assumption that to work well with someone, we need to meet face to face. And certainly, sometimes it's important to have one meeting face to face. But then that's over. You don't need to meet every every month or every week physically. And I think people are now bringing that mental representation, mental model in the in the office. 
and I, I, I think it's going to be extremely hard for companies to revert. I think they, they, sooner or later they will embrace it. It does not mean it's going to be only distance, um, but certainly companies will learn to leverage that to also their advantage. I'm, I'm thinking here in Peoria, uh, Caterpillar yeah. Yeah. Is, is the big company, um, always has been for many years. Yes, yes. And a few years back, they, they made a lot of press with the, their big plan for the riverfront here in Peoria. They were going to put a whole new office and all kinds of, you know, very, very uh, luxurious uh, setup. Well, then they changed their mind and went off to the Chicago area. But I'm thinking they might have, they might have put that aside anyway, due to what we now know about working, you know, from home or a hybrid or you're working occasionally from home. Uh, Those plans might have changed anyway. You know, you you wonder now uh, what's going to happen in the future with with uh, offices and and that sort of thing. I, I think you're totally right. I mean, I I uh, I would not, you know, I being a real estate agent, especially for offices, is probably not going to be a very a very exciting uh, job in the coming years. I think. Um, I mean, I wish them all the luck possible, but it's it's I think it's going to be hard because. Um, uh, you're talking about businesses that are resisting uh, the changes, but I also think there are many businesses that are really embracing it and taking uh, that as a way to also cut costs and reduce office space and um, have people work from home more, et cetera, et cetera. So yes, being a real estate agent is probably not a good idea um, right now. The uh, the one thing I was thinking was the, when I when I was looking through the notes here about the, the framing the the argument or how to um, work with technology or, or utilize it or whatever the right uh, phrase would be, and that's you know one of the things we we the disruptions that's occurred uh, big time around the world I think is retail, you know they, they, every everybody now and again the pandemic probably um, assisted this. Uh, you know, they order from Amazon and, and get a package delivered to their door versus going to the store where they might get this very same thing. But, you know, now the question is, what do, are we going to see stores or are they going to dwindle? I mean, if you're in the retail business, how do you how do you sort of survive? Is, is that something that is going to take a, a great breakthrough or what, what is your thought there? I think is yes. I think is uh, again. I th- this is the same story as at the the office. Um, mm-hmm. People has have started to change their mental model, their mindset about buying. What what does it mean to buy? Right. And once you start to uh, see how it works, and you go online, and you're happy with that, it's going to be very 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 hard to have people physically uh, come back. Um, to uh, physically to, to the retail store. So um, yeah, I, I worry, I don't think it's necessarily healthy to only have um, Amazon and home delivery um, because there is also a social component um, and, and jobs involved. Uh, but I, I worry about that. I mean, I think uh, to me, I, that's how I would frame it. I think it's, it's probably a negative consequences. Is that the same story in Europe, in in your mind, or because I, you know, I'm giving you the American. No, yeah, no, I know America 
well enough. I mean, I love this country. I spent 10 years in the US and right. my daughter is an American citizen. So I am very aware I have a very thick French accent, but um, <laughs> but I, I I have an American part of in me. Um, and I, I, you know, before the pandemic, I would uh, come regularly. Um, but but so the, the thing is that um, retails is organized slightly differently in Europe. So if you take my, my home country, which is France, it's similar than in the US because they had um, the equivalent of Walmart, if you want. So this uh -huh. big retail store. But but I live in Berlin um, and in Germany. In Germany, the, the retail industries still, I mean, there's Aldi, there's the equivalent as well, but there are still many, many small shops that are that have still a human connections with their clients, with their customers. And so I can see that in different culture, people may more easily come back to uh, uh, buy from their friends to some extent, to have right. this social um, relationship. Um, but I can see in France and I can see in the US that um, it's, it's, you know, it's going to be hard to, to see people going back to, to, uh, to Walmart or, or retail stores physically, I mean. Francis, we're running out of time here, but I'll give you one more thing. Yes. And that's the, uh, if somebody is, is listening to this or an excerpt of, of our conversation, what, what would you say is, is a bottom line you'd like to leave people with? Uh, we've talked a little bit about framing and, you know, not, not being overwhelmed by technology, I, but rather find your place in it. What, what is your thought there is to, to leave people with? I think the, the key point is that we have a, a cognitive muscle that is called framing and that we, we use all the time, but we're not quite aware of it. And um, there's a huge opportunity to harness and get better individually at it. And if you or I or we do that, uh, we'll reach better decisions. We'll, we'll achieve our goals more easily. So that, that's, I think, appreciating the power of mental model, the power of frames would be my key message. And, and don't get uh, despondent about uh, losing a job to a robot or, or whatever the, the latest um, headline that is. That is, yes. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're good framers, in fact, you will leverage machine learning and AI to your advantage. You will know how to use it to, to uh, uh, boost your ability to, do, to, do, to be a good framer, basically. So being a, a good framer, framing well, is not only a way to resist the machine, but it's also a way to leverage it in a better way. It's, it's, uh, it's the same when you think about Excel, you know, uh, spreadsheet Excels, for instance. If you uh, know how to use them, you're becoming a better uh, manager or a better uh, worker. It's the same thing with mental model uh, with respect to AI. If you have a good ability to represent the world, to frame problems, AI is going to help you, not threaten you. Very good. Well, Francis Tavericourt, thank you so much. Uh, one of the co-authors of Framers, Human Advantage in the Age of Technology and Turmoil. We appreciate your time this morning and uh, we look forward to... Uh, Learning more about framing. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Steve. It was a real pleasure. <laughs> Take care. Take bye -bye care, now. Steve.